Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Dr. Music. I'm Matthew Marullo. Thank you so much for joining me again. I know in previous episodes we've looked at Rhapsodies. In Season 1, I devoted an entire episode to Rhapsodies. And in Season 2, we looked at a Rhapsody of sorts by Mozart called Fantasy in D minor. And we also looked at Variations. Recently, we looked at Beethoven's Sonata, Opus 109 in E major, the last movement of which was a set of variations. Well, how about a Rhapsody that is a set of variations? That might be a little bit confusing. I'm referring to Sergei Rachmaninoff's 1934 piece for piano and orchestra called Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, which is definitely rhapsodic in nature, But what it really amounts to is a set of variations. Specifically, it's a set of 24 variations on a theme by, yeah, you guessed it, it's in the title, Niccolo Paganini, a 19th century violin virtuoso who wrote such impressive, incredibly difficult violin music that it just completely stunned audiences. And it continues to be true to this day. He was kind of the rock star of his day for violin, in the same way Franz Liszt was the rock star for his piano abilities, because he outshined everybody in the 19th century with his piano technique, which he largely invented on his own, because as a young man, Liszt would spend literally the entire day honing his piano skill and writing pieces that were so difficult that only he could play them. Now more people can play them, but during that time, he was pretty much the only person who could play his own piano pieces. But back to Paganini. Paganini wrote a set of caprices for solo violin, 24 to be exact. And these are really kind of like rhapsodies. So that's another name for a rhapsody, a caprice, because they're very free in form, incredibly difficult to play. And the 24th caprice, Rachmaninoff based his piece on. What I'd like to do is explore Rachmaninoff's immense talent for transforming a theme, making it a variation. So we're going to listen to the original theme by Paganini, which you hear in the very beginning of the piece. And then we're going to go to the very famous 18th variation. Now, this variation is definitely, out of all the variations in this piece, the most well-known. I would say partly, if not mostly, because it was featured in the 1980 film Somewhere in Time. This was directed by a French director named Jeannot Swark. He also directed Santa Claus the Movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. Somewhere in Time stars Christopher Reeve, who played the original Superman back in 1978. And Christopher Reeve plays a Chicago playwright who, while staying at a hotel one night, sees a picture of a woman and he instantly falls in love with her. But it turns out she was living almost 70 years ago. So that, that's a very old picture. And he falls in love with this picture so much that he wills himself back in time to meet her. They don't make movies like this anymore. I think they should, though. And there's one scene in the movie where Richard, played by Christopher Reeve, is rowing a boat with Elise, the woman in the photo, played by Jane Seymour. And as he's rowing, he's whistling this tune. And that tune is the 18th variation of Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini. And Elise, of course, doesn't recognize the theme because it hasn't been written yet. 
I should also mention that the soundtrack to this movie is gorgeous. I'm not talking about Rachmaninoff's music, but John Barry wrote the soundtrack, and he wrote the scores to many, many films, James Bond films. He wrote, for instance, classics like Born Free and Out of Africa, and another one of my favorites, Dances with Wolves. And they they actually asked uh, John Barry to try to imitate the feeling of Rachmaninoff's piece, and he did a great job because... It's one of John Barry's most beloved scores, and believe me, he wrote a lot of music. And a lot of people love this score more than any one that he ever wrote. Now, the way Rachmaninoff begins this piece is very interesting, because usually when you hear a set of variations, the very first thing you hear is the theme in its original form completely unadorned. But the way this is constructed is you hear first a short introduction, you hear variation one right away, and then you hear the theme played by the piano. So when the piano comes in, that's the original theme. So I'd like to play for you the very beginning of the piece, and keep in mind, when the orchestra is playing, you're going to hear an introduction, the first variation, and then the original theme when the piano comes in. What was really interesting about the piano's entrance at the end of that excerpt, which was the main theme, is that the piano was really accenting certain notes that the violins were playing. The violins were really playing the main theme, and the piano was just functioning to stress certain notes. We also heard the piano very briefly in the very beginning with the introduction, but again, those were just accents. So the piano doesn't make a really grand entrance. You have to wait. And I say this because in a typical piano concerto, and this is almost like a piano concerto, right? A concerto is a piece for full orchestra that features one or more solo instruments. Usually when the solo instrument comes in, it's pretty dramatic. And yet when the piano is introduced at the beginning of this piece, the piano kind of sneaks in, really just accenting certain notes rather than a huge grand entrance. But believe me, he makes up for it. He does that for a reason. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to listen to that main theme again and break it down into its component parts because in order to understand the variation, you really have to understand how the theme is built from a theoretical standpoint. So let's listen to that theme one more time. Okay, so the first thing you hear in that theme is this. Now, at the very beginning of that, you have this. That went up a third. That's the interval. It's called a third. And then it went down by step twice. Then it goes up a fifth. That's another interval. 
and then down an octave. Okay, so one more time. Up a third, step, step, up a fifth, down an octave. I know that's very technical, but I'm going to keep repeating that later because I want you to remember it. There's a reason. Now, this segment that I just played is actually played twice. After that, what's played is what's called a sequence. A sequence is a melodic or a harmonic pattern, or it could be both, that's repeated but transposed. In other words, the repetition is a little bit higher, or in this case, a little bit lower. So first we have this. That repeats, but it's a little bit lower. And following that, we have the ending of the melody. So to sum up, we have a segment that's repeated twice, then we have a sequence, and then the ending of the melody. Let's listen to the original again. What I'd like to do now is play for you the 18th variation, and then we're going to talk about how it relates to the theme. The 18th variation is played once, and then the orchestration is thickened, played again, and then thickened even more, and then it's played about halfway through before it ends. And I think you'll agree when you listen to this that it is not immediately evident that this is related to the theme by Paganini. I mean, if you heard it for the first time, you would not associate the two. But we're going to talk about how they're intimately related. As a matter of fact, the 18th variation would never have existed had it not been for Paganini's theme.
Absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? And that's a piece unto itself. You could just listen to the 18th variation. But of course, it's part of a much larger piece. 24 variations in all. Now, I just wanted to remind you, the original Paganini theme was constructed as follows. It first had a repeating segment. It was repeated twice. Then what's called a sequence, which is a repeating melodic pattern that's transposed. In this case, it gets lower when it repeats. And then the last segment, the third segment, is the ending of the theme. So let's consider how the 18th variation is constructed. First, we have this. That's repeated. And remember, that's exactly what the original theme did. It was a segment that was simply repeated. And now, let's see what happens after that. What was that? That was a sequence. You remember, I played the same thing twice, except the second time, it was a little bit higher. Unlike the main theme, the second time was a little bit lower, but still, this is a sequence. He's just reversing the direction of the repetition. It goes higher. And then we have the final segment, the ending segment. So we just figured out that the architecture of that variation is exactly the architecture of the original theme, the Paganini theme. Now, let's just review how that original theme was constructed. Remember I said it did this? So it went up a third, step, step, up a fifth, and then down eight notes or an octave. Okay, now let's listen to the beginning of the 18th variation. So it goes down a third, up two steps, down a fifth, and then winds up on this note, which is an octave below the first note. So do you realize what happened? This 18th variation is an inversion of the original theme. What does that mean? It means the intervals are turned upside down. So for instance, the original theme went up a third and down two steps. The 18th variation goes down a third, up two steps. The original had gone up a fifth. The 18th variation goes down a fifth. So what Rachmaninoff did is he took an original theme that was in the minor mode, 
The original theme is in the key of A minor. And in the 18th variation, it becomes the major mode But the theme is turned upside down. It's an inversion of the original theme. Pretty ingenious how he gets such a lovely theme by doing really those two very simple procedures. I mean, composers have been going from the minor mode to the major mode for a long time. There's nothing unusual about that. And as for doing an inversion of the theme, well, that's been done for centuries by many composers. Bach was an expert at that. Now, the other thing that I should mention is remember that in the 18th variation, you actually hear the theme twice. You hear it once by the piano, and then the strings come in with piano accompaniment. And then he starts a second repetition, but he doesn't finish it. Instead, there's kind of a, a coda that winds up with a piano solo, a very lovely, quiet, tranquil piano solo. And it almost sounds like the entire piece ended there, but no, he has a whole bunch of variations to do. So the point that I want to make is that when you hear it the first time, the first playing of the 18th variation with the piano, Rachmaninoff does a little sleight of hand because what he does is he modulates the key. He changes the key halfway through that performance. And what does he change the key to? He changes it to the dominant. Yeah, so the dominant of the original key of the 18th variation happens to be the key of A flat. The original key, or the tonic, is D-flat, and the dominant is A-flat. And as you know, the dominant is a very tense harmony, because it wants to be resolved. And it resolves beautifully, because since it's the dominant, when he repeats the 18th variation with the strings, he just goes from the dominant right back to the tonic. So it's a very natural thing to do. So he sets up that tension by changing the key in the middle of the first playing of the variation. And then when the strings come in, he resolves that tension by going into the original key. Music theory can be like math. Sometimes it could be kind of complicated, but I hope that made sense to you. One more thing. In the movie Somewhere in Time, which I mentioned before, the first time that the character of Richard, played by Christopher Reeve, sees the picture of Elise McKenna, the lady who he falls in love with, and then he wills himself back into time to meet. The first time he sees that picture, we hear Rachmaninoff's 18th variation. But we don't see the lady's face until the repetition of the theme when the strings come in. In other words, first we hear that dominant that I was talking about, and then when the strings come in and we go back to the original key of that variation, that's when we actually see her face. And so the director really understood how to use that entire variation to the greatest effect. Because when the piano's playing in the very beginning, we just see Christopher Reeve kind of looking up and noticing something on the wall, and then he walks very slowly and he looks transfixed. That's when we hear the beginning of the 18th variation with the piano solo. And then when we finally see her face, that's when the repetition starts with the strings coming in. you got to see the movie if you haven't seen it. It's... it's quite a movie. It's a good movie. If you're interested in hearing more Rachmaninoff, the recording that I used was a Warner Classic CD. Nikolai Lugansky was playing the piano, and he also plays the four piano concertos by Rachmaninoff, all of which are incredibly good.
Well, I hope you have a really pleasant and safe Memorial Day, and I hope to see you next time, because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better.